0: Everybody doing? Good. Are you sure? I mean, we're here to Roar Show Christ this morning. Right? How's everybody doing? All right, well, that's more like it. Uh, a couple things. I do want to tell you, uh, Linda and Mark will be out there if you want to learn more about Reveal Ministries. That's one of our partner ministries that we have uh, looked at what they do and said, you know, this is a great ministry and Rockbridge partners with them. And so I would love for you to volunteer both on the 18th and anytime time with Reveal Ministry. They do some great stuff up there, so thank you for sharing about them. I also wanted to say, uh, you should have in your GPS this little thing. We're going to be talking about this today, and so I want you to pull it out uh, and put it in your lap. Maybe start filling it out. Put your name on it. Uh, If you're a guest today, this is is a little bit of family business for partners. Uh, For our 2019 budget and mission and everything that we're trying to do in this world, we need to know what y'all are committing to. So we'll be referring to this more, but get it out. If you're a guest and you want to commit to it, and God is moving you in that way, we'd love to have you as well, but this is especially for partners this morning. So I sat there, and I was astounded. There was one couple on the dance floor. It was at a wedding, and it wasn't the bride and groom. It was a couple that had been married for 50-plus years. And as I glanced at their faces, you could tell that they were still as in love with each other today as they were when they first met. You know, one of my and uh, Michelle's favorite things at weddings is when we get to go and uh, sometime during the reception, the DJ will call out and say, all right, all the married couples come to the floor and, and you start dancing. And, you know, they'll, they'll tell a silly joke like, okay, if you've been married more than an hour, you can stay, right? And then so the, the couple that's just married goes and sits down. And then they'll say one year, five years, 10 years. Michelle and I are excited. We get to make the 10-year mark. We've been married for over 10 years now. Yeah, she's a saint. She puts up with me. I don't even know. And then 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Now you're seeing the couples that have really committed to it, right? 50 years. There's usually just maybe one, maybe two people left. And so I started to think, what is it? What is it about these couples that allows them to commit to each other for 50 years? And the word that came to mind was faithful. CNN did an article where they interviewed a few of these 50-year couples, and this is what one wife said. Think about the vows that they've made. This is advice they give to people if they want to last 50 years or more. And don't get angry or upset about something and say, I don't want to be in this, because that is not what you promised. And always give respect to each other. Be faithful. Then the husband said this, I've learned over time the best thing I can do to keep the peace is pick cars and electronics and leave the rest to the wife. (laughs) Something about happy wife, happy life, right? And I would definitely do it again. But I want to go back to that quote that the, the wife made. Think about the vows that they have made. Think about the vows that you've made. If you're married, shout out some of the vows that we say at weddings. What are some of them? Better or worse? What else? I'm sorry, say it again? In sickness or in health, what else? To cherish cherish one another. Share the middle of the the cinnamon roll. (laughs) The strangest vow, I did a wedding on a boat, and the strangest vow was there's no impediment to us getting married, no legal impediment to us getting married. That was an interesting vow. (laughs) Or how about till death do us part? That's the kind of commitment that we make, the the vows that we make that we are called to be faithful to. Now, actually, this sermon is not about marriage. (laughs) This sermon is to remind us that God is always that faithful partner, that God, we we sing, great is thy faithfulness, that we know that God doesn't change, that God is always faithful, that God is always there, God is always providing, God is that person on the dance floor, and he wants a dance partner, Right? And he's looking at us and he's saying, I'm gonna be with you. That's what Jesus says when he leaves the disciples to, when he ascends into heaven, I will be with you even till the end of the age. God is with us, God is for us, God is on our side, God is behind us, God is before us. God is faithful. And so it's up to us to decide: are we gonna step out on that dance floor and be faithful to God? And we talk about what we commit to is with our prayers that we're going to pray daily and read our scripture, our presence. We're going to show up for worship. We're going to be part of a life group, or Bible study, or community, our gifts, that of the goodness and greatness that God has given us, that we are going to give back to God, our service, the spiritual gifts that God has given us, that we're going to use those to build God's kingdom, and our witness, and our witness, that we're going to Share this good news, because Josh shared beautifully. That's, that's the best gift of all, isn't it? And I know some of us aren't comfortable with it, but we all can invite someone to church, and then just have, have Josh tell a story, and then, boom, it'll be good news. Thank you for sharing that last week, Josh. Our scripture this week comes from Philippians chapter four verses 10 through 20. I hope you have a Bible if you don't. Uh, we have extras out there, and it'll also be on the screen uh, above you. so. Listen to the scripture. I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you've always concerned, but there was no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having enough, more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content in each and every circumstances whether full or hungry, whether having plenty or poor. I can do all things through the power of the one who gives me strength, or as the version may have grown up, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Still, you have done well to share my distress. You Philippians know from the time of my first mission work in Macedonia that no church shared in supporting my ministry except you. You sent contributions repeatedly to take care of my needs even while I was in Thessalonica. You know, we've talked about the church at Philippi and how deeply Paul loves them and how passionate about it. And now we know, right? They gave him money. (laughs) But it's so much deeper than that. And we know that. It's so much deeper than that. Paul was called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He was called by God to go throughout the Mediterranean starting new churches. And the church at Philippi, Even when he left, he left their walls. There was no way that money was coming back to them. There was nothing that they were going to benefit from this money. But they sent it to Paul so that he could go to other places and start new churches. That is why Paul loves this church at Philippi so deeply. They gave knowing it would not benefit them personally. This is what Paul says. I'm not hoping for a gift, but I'm hoping for a profit that accumulates in your account, your account. I know I have plenty, and it is more than enough. I am full to overflowing because I received the gifts that you sent from Epaphroditus. Those gifts give off a fragrant aroma, and acceptable sacrifice that pleases God. My God will meet your every need out of the riches in the glory that is found in Christ Jesus. Let that glory be given to God our Father, forever and always. Amen. This is a powerful story. Paul is saying that they gave to him, and he's so deeply touched, and he hopes that it's a credit on their account. Again, Paul must have been some sort of businessman. We know that. He was a tent maker or a leather worker, but, you know, he's using these accounting words. I hope it's a profit in your account. Now, we might hear this and think, okay, well, maybe he's saying you're earning your salvation by the works that you do, but we know that Paul doesn't believe that, right? What he's saying is that your gifts, not that you're going to receive some specific reward for it, but your gifts make God's heart glad. Because we know God is generous, right? We know that. Each person sitting in this room, I'm sure, has experienced, at least on some level, the incredible generosity of God in your life. We know God is generous. So when we are generous, it makes God's heart glad. Don't we want to do that? Don't we want to make God's heart glad? glad. And then he talks about how it's this, when we give these offerings, that it's a fragrant aroma to God. You know, in the, the Hebrew text, they would actually sacrifice animals, right? And that smoke would go up to God. And, and even though God probably doesn't smell, which is probably a good thing, right? <laughs> all the trash and stuff that we accumulate as humans. All, but anyways, this aroma from the sacrifices would go to God, and, and God would say it was pleasing unto him. But here's a really interesting thing. In Psalm chapter 50, he says that it wasn't pleasing to him because their heart wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't in it. What makes it pleasing is not necessarily the gift itself, but our heart and why we give. That we are returning out of the generosity that God has given us and the faithfulness of God in our lives, that we are faithful back to God. That is what makes it a pleasing aroma. The act itself is meaningless. So he's saying the gift, this gift that they gave him, meant so much to God because of their hearts and their passion for the work that Paul was doing. That's what it made meaningful. That's what made it have this beautiful aroma. In preparing for this, I was watching a message from Timothy Keller. He's a pastor in New York. He's pretty famous. You may have read some of his books or or uh, watch some of his sermons, and he's really interesting. He's such a scholar, and he's kind of dry, but if you listen to him, he has just incredibly brilliant things to say. And I'm going to relate to you one of his concepts when he was talking about giving. He was talking about Acts 20.32, where Paul talks about the word of grace. I commend you to the word of grace. And then Paul goes on to say in a few moments that Jesus said it was better to give than to receive. And so he's talking about generosity, and we know that the things we want in life can enslave us, right? The things that we really desire, whatever that might be, whether it's a promotion at work, whether it's a new car, a new boat, whatever, it can enslave us. You know, I'm a tech guy. I love technology. I want the latest. I want the coolest. I want the coolest watch. I want the coolest phone, and I'm going to get a new phone every year. It can enslave us because we want them, right? What we desire, where our treasure is. You know, Jesus says, where our treasure is, that is where our heart is also. Where our treasure is, that is where our heart is also. And so if we treasure the things of the earth over God, then they're going to enslave us. Having things isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It's when they are more important to us than God and the work that God wants us to do in our lives. So here's how how Timothy Keller relates this. First of all, Does anyone remember the acronym for grace that you may have learned when you were in elementary school? At Sunday school? God's riches at Christ's expense. Have you heard that before? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. That even when we didn't deserve it, when we were dead, we get grace through Jesus Christ and we're made alive. But it's even deeper than that. Because I want you to really think about this this morning. I want you to really open your mind up to what Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus, who is God and was with God and was reigning all the world and all the universe. Everything was great. Everything was great. Except on earth, humans had separated themselves from God and were living in brokenness and lostness. And Jesus sees that. Jesus sees what is going on. And Jesus sees the pain and suffering that we go through every single day. And Jesus leaves his perfect, ideal existence. Think about that. He was with God. He was in heaven. Everything was good. All things were as it should be for Jesus. But because Jesus treasures you and I, he came to earth. We are what Jesus treasures. We are what Jesus wants in our brokenness, and our filth, when we are farthest away from God, Jesus came for us. Jesus came for us. And not only that, but on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we know that on the cross, on the moment of that, when he was taking all the sins of the world on himself, he was separated from the Father. So we know that God and Jesus in the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, there are three persons and they are one, and they had always been together until that one moment. Jesus allowed himself to be separated from the Father. We can't imagine what that is like. And Jesus did it because he treasures you. God is faithful. And God is generous. And what does God want for us is to be faithful and generous in return. So what what does it look like when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be generous? Well, first of all, generous people love. In our human existence, we only want to love the people that we think deserve love, right? That's, That's our hearts. What have you done for me? If you've done something nice for me, maybe I'll love you. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You know, it's election season, right? We got Tuesday, we get the elections. And it's real easy to to look at those people over there who are political opposites, whether you're right or left, and think about how terrible those people are, isn't it? How could they possibly think that? How could they possibly have those beliefs? They're ruining our country. How many of y'all have heard that? Jesus calls you to love those you disagree with. Jesus calls you to love those people you can't stand. Jesus calls you to sit at a table and be a family with them. Jesus calls us to love people we don't even like, people we don't even care for, people we don't even want to spend time with. You know, the the church is a mess sometimes. My mom used to say, David, you're a mess, but you're my mess. Sometimes I feel that about you guys. (laughs) Y'all are a mess, but you're my mess. But it's a mess because we love everybody and we will let anybody in, including you. So maybe we should love those who we don't want to love, those we don't like, one of those who think, oh, my gosh, how can they possibly have that opinion? Jesus calls you to love them. I love this uh, ending to weddings. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find you generous friends. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find you generous friends. So generous people love, generous people are thankful. Jesus tells a story, or not tells a story, but Jesus heals 10 lepers. They go and he tells them to go meet the priest and be cleansed and one comes back and says thank you. Can you imagine that? Being healed of leprosy, that means you had a skin disease. You're covered in sores. In the Jewish world, you could not be part of the community. Ten people are healed. One comes back. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be like the nine who think that they deserved it or the one who was so incredibly thankful that he sought out Jesus and he said thank you? God has been generous to you. We must be thankful for what God has done. Generous people grow you know, oftentimes as humans, we want stasis. We want things to be the same. We don't want things to change. But that is not how God works. This is not what God wants. God does not want you to be the same Christian you were when you first started your faith as when you are 30 years later. One of our fun things to do as a parent is to teach our kids how to ride their bikes. Anybody ever teach a kid how to ride their bike? This was way more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, we, we start off with Sophie, and, and we've done the same thing with Amelia with a little bike. You know, and it's got the training wheels, and uh, you have to teach them everything. you got to teach them. I would never thought about teaching someone how to pedal, you know. you got to teach them how to pedal, and then you got to teach them how to steer, and you got to teach them how to brake, which I didn't learn as a kid. I used to stop by running into things. <laughs> a true story, I asked my parents. Like, I would just go until I ran into something. So you want to teach them how to stop. And at some point, they start getting the balance right, and you loosen the training wheels, and you start to take them off. And before you know it, they're taking off, and they're riding. Now, looking at at Sophie, the way that she enjoyed riding her bike when she had the training wheels, she would do it occasionally, and she thought that was okay. We took those training wheels off, and she learned how to ride her bike on her own without training wheels, and it's like a whole new kid. Every time she has an opportunity, she goes and gets that bike and zooms around the neighborhood, and she loves it, and she loves the freedom, and she's passionate about it, and she wants to ride her bike all the time. She's like, Dad, can we go on runs so I can ride my bike with you? Why do we leave our training wheels on our faith? We have to grow. and We grow because we are fed and watered in the, the soil of God's generosity. Stop being the same. Take that next step in faith. Step out boldly. See what God is calling you to do. Be in a Bible study. Be in a life group. Grab two people at work and read the Bible together. It's not complicated. Just do it. And see where the Spirit takes you. Generous people are contagious. Now, I don't want to step on your toes, but, but think about this. Think about two people in your life. One who is really stingy with their time, their money, with everything they have, Maybe you want to hang out with them they're always like, ah, oh, I'm too busy. Or they, you know, you're at the restaurant and, and you got that thing where you kind of fake like you're grabbing the check or grabbing your wallet. You know what I'm talking about. And this person never grabs the check, right? And now think about another person who always is there when you need them, who always is calling you, who always is there when you, when you need someone to lean on or talk to you. They're always grabbing the check first. Which one do you want to hang out with? Which person do you want to be? Generous people are contagious. We want to be around them. We want them in our lives because we're hoping maybe some of that goodness will bleed into our life. And finally, generous people share. You know, in our human world, we think that we have worked hard and everything is ours and we have earned it. And that's true. God wants us to work hard. God wants us to succeed in life. All that is true. But We have to realize that all that we have, this whole world is God's. And God gave it to us, and we're called to share. It astounds me every single day, that there are people who have no food, there are people who have no water, there are people who have no shelter, and there are people who do not have access to education. And we think these are problems are so big that how could we possibly ever solve them, but my church, I'm telling you, they're not that big. Some of us are running a marathon, or half marathon, to raise money for clean water, because the number one cause of death for children around the world is that they don't have access to clean water. Think about that. We open a, we just go like this, and that's how we get our clean water, right? There's actually a lot more to it, but that's what we think. There are people who have to walk to the muddy river, gather up the water, walk back, and then drink it, and it gets them sick. But I tell you this is a solvable problem because it would cost $10 billion. This is a stat I've shared with you before. $10 billion to fix that problem. And Americans spend $11 billion on soda. So don't tell me these problems aren't solvable. We're called to share. I know it's not that simple. But if we were more generous and better about taking care of the problems of this world, maybe there would be less people who don't have access to clean water. This is what the church in Philippi did. They gave what they had. It didn't have any particular benefit to them. They gave it to Paul so that he could start new churches. We know, ultimately, if we want to help the world, we've got to tell people about Jesus. It's only through the power of Christ that these things are going to change. We can't do it on our own. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells them he is so thankful for them that their generosity is a profit on their account, that it's a fragrant aroma to God. And here's the thing. We might be worried about giving of our time and of our energy and of our financial gifts and all of these things. I'm sure when you came to church today, it's like, oh my goodness, these pastors are going to talk about money today. I should have stayed home. I should have marked my calendar. But here's the truth. God has been generous to you. And God on that dance floor is looking for a dance partner. He's got arms open wide and says, I've been faithful. Are you going to be faithful? Here's what's amazing. In verse 19, it says, my God will meet your every need. That doesn't mean God's going to buy you a boat. (laughs) doesn't mean God's going to send you on a vacation. But God will provide your every need so that you could be a person who is generous with your prayers and your presence and your gifts and your service and your witness so that there's no child ever who has to die because they can't have clean drinking water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit.